welcome to Marvel Us. I'm your host, Tom Laurie, joined by my sister, Leona Laurie. And tonight we're talking about From 2021, directed by Andy Serkis and written by Kelly Marcel, Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Oh god, that's actually it. Remember the part in the movie where they where said says, that? Let There Be Carnage, yeah. Oh my god. <sighs> Would you like to recap the plot of Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Okay, so the last time, since the last time we saw Venom, he's continued to occupy um, Tom Hardy's body. What's his name in this movie? Mike or Jason? Something like that. Eddie. So Eddie has continued to have his symbiote, Venom. Mostly what they do is argue. So for the first four thirds of the movie, they are like, Hey, stay inside my head and don't talk to people. I want to eat bad guy. So most of the movie is just Eddie arguing with himself, which on camera is like a man talking and then sitting still while a voiceover talks. And the debate is, should Venom be allowed to eat bad guys? And Eddie's position is, no, he should eat chickens and chocolate. So that's fine. So that's what they do. Um... Eddie has broken up with his girlfriend, Michelle Williams. Her mini might be Amy or Sarah or something. Something like that. It's not important. And Venom really liked her, so he's bummed about Man. it. But now she's engaged to a dentist, which I think should be the tagline for this film. Like, that is about how exciting this film is. Believe it or not, that guy was in the first movie. Huh, I think that sounds familiar. Anyway, meanwhile, somewhere across town at the School for Insane Children, Woody Harrelson <laughs> falls in love with a girl who shrieks really loudly. And if you can't see where that's going, well, you aren't paying attention. So anyway, one day uh, he tricks Eddie into visiting him in death sentence prison where he lives because he's a mass murderer or serial killer. Then he bites his finger and then gets some venom in his mouth and then it turns him into red venom or carnage. Well, like uh, the lead up to this is so dumb, boring. Yes. Well, like the, the whole movie is like stupid setups <laughs> for stupid things where like, like uh, this, uh, this cop the British guy who played Al Capone on um, uh, Boardwalk Empire. That wasn't like... Donnie from New Kids on the Block? No. Oh, I thought it was Donnie Wahlberg. No, Donnie Wahlberg's taller than that guy. Okay. Um, so he's like, hey, Venom, you gotta go do an interview with this crazy guy. He's He'll only talk to you. And then... Uh, and I hate you for it. Yes. And... Um, because of all the weird stuff that happened in Venom 1. Mm -hmm. So, um... This film was made in England, Francisco, right? <laughs> well, it, it is very weird how British the cast is, because uh, Naomi Harris is Shriek, the girl carnage, or whatever. Anyway, 
like the the whole setup of the carnage thing is that for whatever reason, uh, Crazy Cletus Carnage will only talk to Eddie Brock, and then, uh, but Eddie Brock doesn't want to interview him. But then Venom is like, but this will get your career back and and your girlfriend too. And he's like, okay, I guess I will. So then he goes and interviews him, and it's like not really an interview. He just wants him to put crazy serial killer stuff in the newspaper for him to coded get his, messages for yeah, his, girlfriend. his girlfriend a coded message or something so he doesn't but no he does <laughs> no he he doesn't and that's why um carnage hates him because he, he didn't do it no uh, he does no he doesn't no he that put... that isn't that the that first... is that's him imagining what the crazy that's carnage imagining her seeing the uh yeah, no, he he does like a real story about like, oh, this guy's crazy no, and doesn't put the coded message. He goes more than one in. time. The no, first that, the time, second he time puts is the different. coded message. No, he doesn't. I don't put remember the coded... an imagining time. No, he doesn't like while No, he uh, does Carn- it and then he goes Carnage... back, he's like, Okay, I did it. Now give me facts. No. And then instead he draws Cause, pictures cause what from happens the wall. When he goes the first time, he's just like, Oh, this guy's crazy. But then Venom is like, wait, I see clues in his cell. Let's go look there. So then Venom does like, I guess Venom has like um, rhotic memory or something. So he he goes home and he's like, oh, I'm going to sketch everything I saw on the walls of this guy's cell in like a second. And then (laughs) we're going to like use Bing image search or something to match a landscape with this drawing he drew and that's where we're going to figure out where another body from someone he killed is and for whatever reason even though this dude's already a mass murderer uh serial killer they find another body and it's like oh uh no they find a ton of bodies that's like his burying ground but but like um but that is what uh that that alone is like okay we we overturned the death penalty in california before but because of this guy we're bringing it back and then yeah. they, uh, that's when he gets on death row. And then um, Eddie goes to, uh, to uh, he like get his, his last words or whatever. And he is not happy that Eddie didn't uh, deliver. Because the message was supposed to like signal his girlfriend to break out or whatever. So instead he turns into Carnage and breaks her out. I, I disagree with you that the coded message didn't also happen, but then I'll admit that I was doing something else while this dumb movie was on because I could not just sit there and watch it. Well, it so is confusing. It's possible that while, it happened when I was looking down. While Carnage is explaining that he wants this coded message, they're showing, like, montage of, like, here's the newspaper with the coded message, but I I believed that was his, like his you know the montage of him explaining his plan basically of like oh once oh, she sees no, the coded not message how I took it. um and then after that he eddie leaves and he's like oh that guy's crazy i'm not gonna print any of that crazy guy's stuff oh no I, the way i saw that was he did what eddie wanted him to as soon as he got out like he went to the phone booth where all the other reporters call in their story um only you know like whatever the modern version of that and is like dateline prison Here's what the crazy guy said. Then they publish the headline, and then the afternoon copy goes to Crazy Girlfriend in her Sonic Underground cell. And then um, after he's done his duty, they go home together. No, because the story that he, Venom he gives is like, is... okay, you did a dumb thing. Here's the real thing. And then he's like, okay, I'll go do that too. 
No, because when he does the, the Dateline thing, it's him saying, this guy's crazy, I didn't get anything. Because he really only listened to that one... Like, he didn't interview him. He just said, here's the coded message I want in the newspaper. Go print that. And then uh, Eddie Brock's like, mm, no, I don't think so. Like, no follow-up questions or anything. He's just like, well, I guess I'll leave now. Um, well, he's not good at his But the Dateline thing was uh, after Venom did all the... Draw, all the uh, the mind drawings and then he's like oh this is this is this is gonna get eddie brock back on top and then there's a news story uh i, I wrote it down because it was so silly <laughs> so, so after after they find the bodies at the uh the place that venom drew then there's a news story and the uh, reporter's like brock's career has been given a much needed revival putting him <laughs> back on top once more <laughs> But which is, it's all it's all very because also he wasn't a newspaper reporter before he was like vice guy like gonzo journalist dude barging into places and asking stupid questions so um i i still don't agree with you about what was happening there so let's move on from it please if our if we well, have anyway, any listeners they can comment as to what uh, they think was going on c- c- carnage exists now yeah, so Carnage exists, and then in a predictable series of events, Woody Harrelson steals some disco clothes and goes to break his girlfriend out of her underground jail so they can burn down the school where they were unhappy together as children and then go to a cathedral to force a priest to marry them. And eventually the dentist helps uh, Eddie Brock and Venom catch up with them um, right around the time they kidnap Amy or Sarah or whatever her name is. And then, um, the thing that hurts a symbiote could be fire or sound. And so like Carnage is marrying this woman whose superpower is making a loud sound and Eddie or what's his, but, um, Cletus doesn't see that as a conflict. He's just like, Hey woman, keep your mouth shut in a way that isn't symbolic or anything. And then she's like, no, I'm going to use my voice because it's my power. And he's like, I'm going to kill you for that in a way that isn't symbolic or anything. But I, I'm conflicted. And so then um, Eddie's like, I know what will kill this guy, sound and fire. But, like, I have a symbiote I'm not trying to kill. So, like, hopefully he'll plug his ears or whatever. So then instead of triggering the woman with the supersonic voice to go off, um, they ring a bell at the cathedral. And then... Um, that shrivels up Carnage to the point where Venom can eat him because he's his son and he eats him like a sentient placenta. placenta. Well, and they, then, it, it shrivels him up enough that they can kill Cletus. They don't have to kill with, Cletus. He falls from the tower into well, a bunch I mean, of rubble. I mean, without that, without uh, Carnage. They separate him. They separate yeah. them through yeah. sound or whatever. Anyway, before that, so, he's like getting shot with like bazookas and shit and... Uh, suffering suffering no damage whereas when eddie gets stabbed uh there's you know pretty pretty bloody bloody wounds wherever venom mode eddie gets stabbed venom eats his son and then um amy sarah carol maybe goes off into the sun Anne. her who yeah So she goes off into the sunset with her dentist and their cat, which seems so appropriate because she has no, like, I love Michelle Williams. What is she doing in this dump truck of a film? She has no chemistry with anybody in this film. She's like flirting with Venom. She's like, Venom, 
won't you take care of Eddie and fix his career? And then uh, I'm like, what What are you doing? Yeah, the, the whole dynamic between the three of them is very, very weird. Stupid. Stupid. All of it's stupid. And then at the end, um, I think Venom gets permission to eat bad guys or something because the part of a human brain makes him alive. Anyway, it's terrible. Did you not watch the post credit stuff? Are you kidding? There's post credit stuff? Maybe I did watch it and I just don't remember it. Oh, no, you would have remembered. What is it? So, um, Eddie and Venom go on vacation. They're on a very terrible CG beach that looks like Tahiti where, uh... Oh, yeah, uh, he wiggles his toes in the sand. He wiggles his toes in the sand. Then they're in their rundown, um, apartment watching TV and then something weird happens suddenly it's a or not apartment uh hotel room suddenly it's a very nice hotel room and the tv is showing the news story about peter parker tom holland being exposed as spider-man oh that no i saw the one with the toes in the sand i didn't see the other one yeah at the very end they get oh are they gonna bring this shit show into the mcu it, it happened oh man I mean, it's the best thing that could happen for this, given that uh, both this and Venom 1 show that the biggest failing of Venom is that Venom isn't the main character. He's a, he's a foil for Spider-Man, and uh, none of the foils for Venom are interesting because they're just more Venom. <laughs> like, literally, the first movie and this movie, it's like, what if the bad guy is like Venom, but more? <laughs> I don't like, remember the first like movie at all. <laughs> um, in the first movie, then Riza Med is like evil Elon Musk, evil-er Elon Musk, and uh, he becomes Venom also. And um, it's, 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 I, I had a decent time with the first Venom. Like, it had some fun stuff in it. And the problem, the big problem with this one, besides Carnage just, I think, being kind of a lame character and concept and Woody Harrelson being like, not good casting uh he's very old his wig is very stupid looking um he doesn't bring anything to the role i don't think but it's also a stupid role is that this felt like like i like uh your your recap i I can't fault you for getting through it as as quickly as possible but i think something i glossed over was how much of this movie is just eddie and venom bickering and not wanting to do any like i said that was four thirds of the movie how no, much know, time I, am i supposed to I, spend no, talking I know, about I know it you said it but it doesn't really communicate it when you get to the actual when you're like talking about the actual plot points because uh it takes forever for the movie to do that like experiencing it in real time is very different from just hearing that it's uh three-fourths of the movie because it is and i said four thirds of the movie tom well, I wanted to confusing. get across the fact that it was too much of the film. No, yeah. It felt like an old style, like, you know, like an 80s style sequel where it's like, oh, shit, the first movie was popular. Uh, let's, let's let's do it again. Let's I, it felt reset like... to the status quo as quickly as possible so that we can just have the exact same arc again. Yeah, and this was that's terrible. What this felt like where instead of picking up with, you know, Eddie being Venom and you know they're them having whatever sort of relationship they do it's like all right Eddie doesn't want to be Venom uh they argue all the time they break up 
and then in the third act they get back together and do the venom fight and it's uh it's a slog well i skipped over this the segment where venom tries living in other hosts when they break that up with each other that was also very weird very and then weird they and all stupid. like die and i guess maybe eddie is sort die. of like thanos with the infinity stones where like he's the only one who can support venom the life no, force it's 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 like he venom. said i'm having a hard time keeping him upright or something like that well, i think he's just um partying too hard with them like they're they aren't uh symbiotic which uh is the big thing that um wins them the fight at the end where uh, eddie's like look venom they aren't symbiotic they hate each other or whatever and uh but the the weird thing about the breakup sequence except for um the lady who owns a convenience store venom seems to get along with her mm-hmm. uh that whenever he glops onto someone, it like <laughs> he turns into big buff venom mode. Whereas whenever he glops onto Michelle Williams, it's like ooh sexy lady venom, but only only with her. Every other person, no matter um, size or gender, it's big buff venom mode and full on venom. Not like with Eddie, where it's like ah oh, we're we're having a tete a tete between um, alien and human mind. It's just like full-on venom taking full control it's uh and i'll end like then going to this party and being like ah i guess this is an allegory for being gay now uh later (laughs) it reminded me a lot of the um amazing spite like you know the sony hack that happened like almost Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or whatever and they got all those emails from uh amy pascal about when they were developing amazing spider-man and just like Ah, he should be like cool. He should be like an Instagram influencer, photographer, like all like all the stupid like um, you know, boomers trying to market to nascent Gen Z sort of stuff. Like it felt felt ve- like it was veering into that in a lot of places. Also just so much weird like the Venom auto writing thing where he's like, oh, "I memorized all the clues and now I'm going to draw them for you and instead of telling you what I saw, you're going to you're going to figure it out, Eddie." And, uh, like, not even, like, okay, here's a bunch of clues that make sense, and when you see them, you're like, oh, I get it, here's, it's like, it's literally, okay, I'm drawing a random landscape, and somehow you go on Google and figure out where that landscape is, like, no clues in it, it's just a fucking beach, you know, like, there's nothing, there's no way you would see that and then be able to find it, and then as if that wasn't a stupid enough way to drive the plot forward once carnage breaks out and he's trying to find his girlfriend he's like "Ah, i guess i've been in prison for like 30 years but now i'm carnage so i'm gonna plug carnage into the usb ports of the (laughs) of this computer at the the gas station and download the internet and it's gonna tell me where my girlfriend is being held prisoner and that that's how they get to the next part of the movie it's just uh it like i don't know it's it's insane how much movie there is over two and a half hours long with um very little in the idea of how to like construct a plot what i what i was really thinking about you during that internet scene because of the screen display that they make you sit through of things surfacing and it's like flying in over this (laughs) black and red screen like he affected the internet to look like him yeah, that's um it's insane. 
Andy Serkis is the king of mocap, period. Which is also kind of weird considering how little of the movie is Venom or Carnage in Venom and Carnage mode. That they pr- it's pretty much just that final battle at the end. Otherwise it's like, you know, Tom Hardy arguing with a little goopy head popping out of him. Or um, uh, Woody Harrelson shooting tentacles like... It, it uh for for being the mocap guy it really saves all of the mocap cg stuff for for the end and it's like not 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 a payoff maybe he was spending a lot of time coaching the 30 people who wore venom over the course of the film and woody harrelson no, i think i think on how to like be venom no, because like there's yeah, no, I think Michelle Williams. Like, oh, right, yeah, and all of those <laughs> oh, like different all the people who at got the Pride into, like, Parade. Yeah. yeah, like all those people who wore Venom at different points. Like I can imagine Andy Circus doing like these in-depth mocap workshops and one-on-one coaching and stuff, and being like, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh you are, oh yeah," and then like putting the film together and being like, oh, mm, that only represents like 20 minutes of this two and a half hour long film. Well, we need some voiceover. Now we're going to do a long scene where they're in an apartment throwing a TV. Oh. <laughs> uh, Sony Bravia, in case you didn't notice, like, <laughs> they spent a lot of time talking about how good that TV is and then how good it is that he bought another one. It it's It is very surprising that that is how it ended, though, that, like, uh, they're, they're going to do that. I mean, not that surprising given what um, Spider-Man No Way Home appears to be, but, um, you know, surprising how quickly uh, they're sprinting off a cliff with that Spider-Man stuff. Well, we only Boy, have Spider-Man a week or Homecoming so to wait. sure was good, huh? Wasn't it, though? Yeah. I miss it. And hey, only less than, eight, like, uh, you know, what, like 10, 10 11 months until um, Spider-Verse 2 Part 1? Mm-hmm. Do we have to keep talking about Venom? Can we switch to Hawkeye, or is there more to say about Venom? Um, do you have anything to say about Hawkeye? I have loads to say about Hawkeye. Oh, really? Well, then let <laughs> me have it. Well, do you want to set it set it up? Um, Hawkeye, the TV show. <laughs> you're not going <laughs> to... I don't have you're my not notes prepared. <laughs> Um, Hawkeye, from 2021, created by... Jonathan Igla, heavily based on the Matt Fraction run of the comic. Well, okay. I'll recap the plot of what I think is episodes one and two. I've seen episode three, um, and Tom hasn't yet, so I'll try not to get into that. But I'm I'm just going to do a very soft recap because of where you are in watching it, Tom. But essentially, during the Battle of New York in 2012, a little girl's living a charmed life in a New York City penthouse where her parents are arguing downstairs about whether or not they have to sell this legacy from her father's side of the family. Her great-great-grandfather, I think, built the building that it's in, and they can't really afford to keep it anymore. And as they don't reach a conclusion in that conversation, the Battle of New York breaks out outside, and their penthouse takes serious damage that leads to her father being killed and parts of the penthouse being stripped away and her life changing forever. Through the chaos, as flying alien beings are are hitting her home and wrecking it, 
the little girl sees Hawkeye shooting arrows and helping save her family without that being, you know, his specific intention, but she's inspired. And throughout the rest of her childhood, she pursues archery and martial arts and wants to basically be the next Hawkeye. So fast forward to the modern day because of her father passing and one has to guess insurance settlements. Her mother was able to keep and repair the penthouse and that's where they lived through the rest of this girl's childhood. And her mother is now engaged to a shady sort of figure who collects swords and has moved in while the girl is away at university. And now there are swords on display all over the house. And reluctantly, the girl accompanies her mother and the surprise fiance to a Christmas dinner uh, at a restaurant that's being held by her new stepfather's uncle. And she's sure that there's something shady about these guys, but she can't put her finger on it. And so she follows them. And it turns out that underneath the restaurant in its wine cellar, a black market auction is taking place that features heavily things recovered from the Avengers compound that was destroyed during the big battle with Thanos. So one of these items is the sword that Jeremy Renner, the retractable sword that Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye was carrying when he was being the, I can't think of his name. Ronin. When he was being Ronin. And the next item on the auction block is the Ronin costume or outfit that was also recovered. And just as that is going up for auction, some bad guys blast through the wall, causing chaos and stealing things that are part of this auction. In the chaos, the stepfather absconds with the retractable sword, and to disguise herself so she won't be noticed amongst the people downstairs in this, where she's been hiding in this auction, Kate Bishop puts on the Ronin suit, and she battles her way out of this situation. And once she gets outside, she sees a one-eyed golden retriever getting into trouble, uh, running through traffic and she saves it and then goes home. And in the, in the process, she's recognized as Ronan who hasn't been seen for several years. And she upsets the robbers, the tracksuit mafia, but she does it in the guise of Ronan. So that's who they think has upset their heist. Um, Now, Hawkeye happens to be in New York City at this time, having some special dad time with his children. And when he sees that Ronan has made the news, he knows he has to do something about it. So he sends his children back to their mother on their secret farm, I'm guessing. Uh, And he goes to find Kate Bishop and retrieve the Ronan suit. And what happens instead is that they wind up having to work together to retrieve the Ronin suit, which keeps getting taken away from them. So first it is taken, uh, the tracksuit mafia shows up at Kate's home and burns it with a Molotov cocktail, and they have to leave the Ronin suit in her home while they get to safety. A firefighter who's a LARPer steals it so that he'll finally have a cool costume for the LARP. Jeremy or Hawkeye very quickly figures out that a LARPer might have taken it Um, because who else would want it? And he tracks it down pretty easily and retrieves it by participating in the LARP. And 
then uh, he's ready to retire the suit and go home. But uh, he and Kate Bishop are kidnapped by the tracksuit mafia, and then they have to confront the tracksuit mafia. And I think that's as far as we get in the first two episodes. Tom, this is like my favorite of the Marvel shows so far. I am enjoying it so much. I think that what's her butt? Haley Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld is appealing to me. Um, I I really appreciate this passing of the torch. I this is my favorite Hawkeye experience. I like that he has a hearing aid and uses mm-hmm. American Sign Language throughout. I feel like you know, one of the things that they've done a bit awkwardly at times, um, especially through the shows so far, is address the fallout of the things that have happened in the world as a result of, you know, everything that's been part of the MCU so far. And I like that this film or this show brings together both this little girl's life having been set on a different track because of the Battle of New York and Hawkeye having like, he's just a human who has really good archery skills. Like he's, he's got permanent hearing damage as a result of having burst through explosions so many times. Mm -hmm. And I really love the sequence where his hearing aid has been broken and he can only hear things in a blown out tinnitus tinged kind of way. And you know, it's like he's underwater and the, every time you're hearing things from his perspective, you can see like, it's, it's severe that he cannot hear anymore without the hearing aid. And I don't know what they're doing with the dog yet, but I'm interested in seeing, cause I like a dog. Um, but then I like that the leader of the tracksuit mafia, I think, I think this is clarified in episode three, but it's hinted at at the end of episode two that she's deaf. And um, so her approach to dealing with a hearing impairment has been different than what Hawkeye's has been so far. And she's critical of his reliance on technology. Um, But I just feel like this, like Hawkeye was always made for TV. Here's a guy who doesn't seem like he's gotten a demotion by putting on the small screen. Like it's sort of like how Agatha Harkness, I'm really excited about her series. Like she was the standout from the WandaVision show Mm -hmm. and somehow she belonged there. Like her bit was appropriate to the medium instead of feeling like exposition town. But also, you know, I think that's part of what I'm liking so much. This is the first thing in a couple of years, part of the MCU that doesn't just feel like exposition. It feels like something is happening here instead of something is being laid out for the future, even though you know that this series purpose is passing of the torch. It doesn't feel like that's all there is to it. Like they're, I feel like they're doing a really good job of saying goodbye to Jeremy Renner's Hawkeye and making him more likable than I've ever found him and making you kind of want him to get home to his family for Christmas and then like not, not be around very much anymore. Like maybe mm-hmm. he could be a mentor figure that you see sometimes, but you wouldn't be bummed about it anymore. And also like the way they're integrating his morning of Natasha and, you know, like all of the stuff that he's carrying around, he's carrying it around, you know, I think sort of like Tony's PTSD after the battle of New York and how that was on such an epic, like 
I'm just going to create a weapons defense system that goes all the way around the earth. And I don't see a problem with inventing AI. You know, in this case, he's like, yeah, I have to wear a hearing aid now because that lifestyle has been really hard for me. And I don't want to talk about Ronin because that's when I was a assassin. You know, it was hard on me. Like he's integrating these things in a way that seems more real relatable. Like, he's he's seen some things he's done some things he's kind of wrecked but he also still has to show up to his life as a husband and father and so he's kind of pushing it down which is what most adults do i don't know i'm really enjoying it i can't wait to watch the next episode um yeah it's definitely the best characterization for hawkeye um still doesn't make me like jeremy renner but uh comparatively yes it is totally a step up uh, I like Haley Steinfeld. I think it's weird that they make her wear colored contacts for this role. It's one of those things that you don't notice all the time, but when you do notice, it's, like, it's distracting. Um, and, like, also, like, the sort of thing where it's like, is this, this so, uh, such a defining thing about the character that this was necessary? Because, I mean, well, I read... Her and her mother's hair being a, a wrong color for what those actresses really look like. And I can't, I think it's wigs a lot of the time. It doesn't look natural, but it reminds I, me of when Thor was like, had yellow yeah, no, eyebrows it, it in the first one. Similar, similar vibe of like, oh, we're going comic accurate, but it's like, uh, you didn't need to. Like, Mm-mm. I mean, I've read some that. Kate Bishop comics and I could not tell you the color of our, her eyes before this. And now it's like, oh, I guess they are weirdly distractingly blue. Uh, I don't. If, if you say so, um, it's enjoyable. I think it's um, it's hitting the right right notes for for TV in ways that uh, the other ones have not. Um, it is weird having Hawkeye's kids in it, like 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 uh, the like the dinner scene with his family with his kids. I was so distracted. I was like, man, why is his daughter so bad at acting? <laughs> like. <laughs> This is this this feels so weird, isn't? Hasn't she been in all of these movies as his daughter? And uh, I looked it up, and yes, she has. And uh, she's one of the Russo brothers' kids, so oh. that explains um, why that's the case. Doesn't so much like you know, it's, it's similar similar for the son too. He's not not a good actor either, and has pretty much only done these movies. And as far as I could tell, is not a nepotism case. But it's you know that that uh, issue of like ah, oh, we cast this kid when they were ten. And uh, that was a long time ago, and I guess they didn't get better at this. Oh well, have a full conversation. I guess uh, I don't know. It was it was it was kind of weird. Pizza Dog is good. I'm 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 interested in it, but it's like the the. I mean, at this point, the thing that has me like I'm I'm still hopeful for She Hulk. I don't know. We'll we'll like you know the trailer for that shows her like She Hulk wearing a, a a nice gown so like they are at least going to be doing that she can be normal while fully hulked out and not going to do the more recent she hulk run where she's more similar to uh incredible hulk of being anger monster but the thing that has me more interested in marvel tv stuff right now is that they're like hey i guess we're gonna kind of bring the netflix characters back like uh uh like they're bringing charlie cox back as Matt Murdock and presumably at some point Daredevil and have hinted at that they're you know either open to or working on something with other like I mean really the only other one they need to bring back is Jessica Jones like they can put um 
Luke Cage and Iron Fist on the chopping block and uh, whoever the fuck else exists in those shows. But I thought I really liked Daredevil. Oh, and Punisher, too, I guess. Uh, I really liked Daredevil and um, Jessica Jones. And if they wanted to fold them back in, I would be happy with that. I never watched Daredevil uh, because I didn't really care for the other ones that I tried. Um, I never watched Punisher either. But um, what's Jessica Jones's best friend? Hellcat. uh, Hellcat. Yeah, that's the one I'd be more interested in seeing. I mean, I I want them to bring Hellcat in, but Hellcat is supposed to be She-Hulk's best friend. Like, that was sort of the weird thing about the Jessica Jones. So it was like, yeah, let's just kind of make her She-Hulk too. Like, giving her a lot of the story beats of uh, recent She-Hulk stories. But, Mm. um, like, because she she and uh, 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 Patsy Walker know each other, but they are not best friends in the comics. Um, Mm. But yeah, it uh, like I don't know. I'd like I'd like to see those characters brought back. And uh, oh yeah, the Daredevil show is really solid and has like some of the best fights in the MCU in general. That's like really some really cool fight choreography in the in in that show. But yeah, and and that's something that I did not love in this is how up close and choppy a lot of the fighting is. Where it's like I I can't really tell what's going on here. This is stick to the bow and arrow because this uh this martial arts shit you're not selling it well you're more critical of fight choreography than i am i appreciate a really well choreographed fight but i don't think that i'm as inclined to scrutinize every fight as you are it's especially weird in something like this where like the 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 big fight in in i can't remember if it's the first or second episode where she's in the ronin costume and is fighting everyone and it's like this doesn't need like you can't see her face why does this look like shit you know this could be all stunt people Mm -hmm. why is it shot so so shaky so up close so many cuts it doesn't don't need to be like this you've already got her wearing colored contacts put those in someone else's eyes yeah okay well i don't disagree with you but also feel so relieved to really be enjoying an mcu property after having been bored by so many of them for so long now you know like the eternals so forgettable and you know most of the shows so far i mean like i appreciated elements of them but yeah, you know Loki had its moments like there were there was enough stuff in loki that i i, I remember it fondly but like WandaVision's like, yeah, I don't know. And uh, Falcon Winter Soldier is just like blank space in my brain, basically. Well, they all just felt like exposition to me. I mean, that's what I have felt about. Like, I thought that's what the Eternals was for sure. It's like, let me give you some backstory on like that. That could be the tagline for everything in the MCU for ages now, I think. Let me give you some backstory on Wikipedia entry. Yeah. Like, okay, I'm going to. Okay. Well, I want to tell you this story. But before we get into it, I feel like I should give you some backstory on, well, you know what? Before we move, I actually, I should explain who these people are Mm -hmm. too. Well, here's, okay. So this is how this person got to where they are at the beginning of the story. I'm actually going to tell you, but like for two years, but for two years of doing that. Mm -hmm. And this is the first time that I've felt in a long time, like, this is fun. 
this is fun. This is well paced. This is appropriate to the medium it's in. I mean, it certainly is enhanced by the fact that now I have my nice home theater set up, um, with my 55 inch TV and sound bar and, and all the good stuff. Uh, so it, I feel like it's walking the line in my new setup the way I want it to of like, you know, cinematic quality TV on a cinematic quality TV where it shouldn't be in the cinema, but also it wouldn't be as much fun on a smaller TV. I, I just am, I am really enjoying it and I am relieved because I have very low hopes for Spider-Man, unfortunately. Um, but I'm really looking forward to Dr. Strange and Thor Love and Thunder and, Next year's offerings are ones that I'm looking forward to. And this show is restoring my hope that, that the MCU can strike the note of this is fun. I I feel like it's been a while since I watched an MCU thing and thought it was fun. And I used to think it was fun most of the time. Yeah. And like, if, if they can nail it, like nail the end of this, I think that'll be, because that's not, that's something that's so weird thinking about the comparison between, these Marvel TV shows and the Netflix ones where the Netflix ones is like, all right, we dictate how long a season of a Netflix series is. So every single one of those shows had basically the same issue of like starts off really good, ends really good, big slump in the middle. And then these, uh, these, uh, Disney plus shows are like shorter. So you would think all, all thriller, no filler, except, uh, no, they're, they're, all filler. Uh, yeah, like uh, it. They they're coming in with this movie mindset of like just <gasps> stretching, stretching, and uh, not not making just a a well distilled TV show. And uh, I think this this is potentially going to hit closer to the mark. You know what they all feel like, Tom? What? They feel like if they took a post credits sequence and stretched it into eight hours of tv that is what they feel like to me like like the wandavision show you know if it had been uh agatha uh, agatha harkness revealing her identity and then wanda reading a book and learning spells at the same time at the end and those two scenes had been tacked on to the end of something Mm. you know i would have been like well i understand where this is going you know, all the rest of that stuff is just like character development. And it's fine if, if they, I mean, like it's fine to develop a character, but somehow they just made it so boring. Well, the thing is it's developing a character Mm. and like, you can do that in a movie. Fine. You've got to do it for multiple characters on a TV show. And Mm. that like, that's the more egregious thing. And it's like, really taking their time with Wanda and then just kind of sprinting through it with um, uh, Monica Rambo, where it's just like, yeah, I guess she has superpowers or something. I don't know. Sort of like a real shoulder shrug about what her whole deal is at the end. And it's like, uh, you know, you could have... It, it, you could have done a really cool movie with this concept or a more interesting TV show. And uh, I think that has been the case with both that and winter soldier falcon that like they uh don't don't really do either well i'm looking forward to i think that wandavision is going to produce a couple of spin-offs that have potential agatha harkness spin-off 
I'm interested in. And then the one with the spinoff with Darcy and Jimmy Woo, that I think would be a lot of fun. Like, I think there's potential for them to go someplace with the things that they introduced in some of these where they like, I think that was the failing of the other ones is that it really felt like they were setting you up for the next film, you know, where, but like there's some stuff happening on the side that was kind of better executed, more interesting. So, you know, I think all the Wanda and vision stuff they gave us was setting up whatever's going to happen in the multiverse in the films, but the stuff that they did with Agatha and with Darcy and agent Wu, that stuff is going to play out on Disney plus in a way that I'm going to enjoy because it's going to be made for that medium. Mm-hmm not as a setup for the other medium. And, you know, I'm really enjoying what's happening here on Hawkeye. If they don't bring like Haley Steinfeld as a movie star. So it stands to reason that she would join the Avengers on screen, on the big screen at some point. But I don't feel like that's I don't think it's leading into on. a Hawkeye movie, you know? Yeah. Like, it's, well, anything, it's not like it'll just be more like she'll show up in someone else's movie, but also continue being a TV show. But it doesn't feel like the multiverse is coming. We got to tell you how this person is going to get called up for action or something I mean, like I Wanda. It, it certainly could go in that direction of like, because that's also a huge problem in comics. It's basically why I stopped reading comics is because you'll be enjoying a storyline. It's like, oh, time for our annual big crossover event. It's going to completely derail all of the storylines of the characters you like to cook up some justification for why they're you know teaming up with the x-men to fight the avengers or something like fucking come on man well wanda is in doctor strange in the multiverse of madness and so we know that that series was setting up her participation there and winter soldier and and captain america falcon and winter soldiers is just setting up like Captain America rejoining the Avengers, but different guy having the shield this time and us being like, Ooh, we know how heavy that shield is now. And what even were the other ones? I don't even remember anymore. Loki. Loki Loki was the uh, multiverse. Yeah. Loki is the multiverse. So that was an important part of setting up the multiverse. And he's got, I mean, like, you know, he'll be back in Thor love and thunder if he doesn't show up before then. Um, and what's the fourth one? That that was it. Oh, what if Loki? Yeah. Oh, you mean? I thought there had been another one that we'd watched to completion, but it was what if, and we decided it was too dumb, and we didn't want to watch it. Uh, okay, so that means that yeah, all three of those setting you up for the multiverse on the big screen, and this one doesn't feel like that so far. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll get there over the course of the episodes, but I'm three episodes in, and so far I'm just, like, sincerely enjoying it, and it feels like it's just being its own thing. Goodbye to you, old Hawkeye. Hello to you, new Hawkeye. It's a passing of the torch that's doing both of you justice, and right now we're just not going to, you know, hammer on about the multiverse for a minute. I'm, you know, like, it's so funny because when we, when we first started talking about the multiverse concept, I thought, wow, this is clever, Marvel. You've given yourself so much room to move right now by having this be the concept, but somehow like their approach to it so far has just been boring and like, yeah, like, this you know, thing. disappointing. It's, it's like, oh, you have infinite possibilities now. Uh, let's do the movies from 20 years ago, I guess, like instead of 
you know, opening up the future. It is like, ah, let's re remonetize the past. Hmm. Anyway, I'm excited to see where Hawkeye goes. So I guess unless you want to say more about it, we'll come back to it at the end of the season. Um, today is episode four dropping and there's eight in this one, right? Yeah. Are there? Are there? I mean, there are usually, there were six of the others, weren't there? I don't were know. there? I, I actually have no clue now that I say it. I have, uh... There's only six. You're right. Oh, man. So today is moving past the halfway point. Is there anything you would want to see from Venom brought into the MCU? Hell no. Well, How about bad, you, Tom? Because uh, Venom is. No. Yeah. Uh, uh, no, not really. I mean, I'm Venom as a foil for Spider-Man has potential, but another big part of that in the comics is that Eddie Brock is like Spider-Man's professional nemesis. Like they're both photojournalists who are always competing and this gives finally gives Eddie the, you know, leg up after uh, Peter Parker's Spider-Man success f photographing him. Um, but in the MCU, Peter Parker is a little billionaire brat and not a photojournalist and Eddie Brock doesn't exist. So uh, that sort of character conflict like what they're just going to show up and hate each other because whatever i don't know it it, it feels very forced mm -hmm. uh, so whatever we'll see oh well, i guess <laughs> i guess next time we'll be talking about spider-man oh you're right we will be that's the plan okay well bye bye